0: Our scripture reading this morning is from Romans fourteen five through 12, as I'm discovering. <laughs> one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the other one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord's, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? We all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. The word of the Lord. Thank you,
1: Destin. That was remarkable <laughs> I've never been more proud. Well, good morning. Good to see you all thanks for for joining us today is an exciting day for us as a congregation and for various families in the congregation. For me, this is uh, Maybe the, one of the certainly highlights in pastoral work. I know some of you are visiting to witness a loved one being baptized and to celebrate together. If that is you, thank you for being here to worship with us and to join us in this joyous and momentous occasion. You know, we we talk about this often, but the church is a big, diverse, and at times quite a strange organism. And this, if you're visiting, this is just our little slice of strangeness. So we welcome you into that strangeness. Um, I think that diversity that is represented in the global church is actually a great gift to the church at large, but also to each of us individually, whatever tradition we happen to belong to. If you are coming in, joining us from a different tradition, um, we're, we're going to explore a little bit about what we are doing and, and why we are doing it the way we are doing it. Um, but, but I think that diversity, as, as we observe various streams of Christian thought and practice, I think we begin, at least this has been my experience, we begin to get in touch with really some of the beauty and mystery of our Creator as we find that each tradition highlights unique aspects of the faith that we're a part of, that maybe our tradition isn't great at capturing, and we, and we can glean something important and beautiful from another tradition. And, of course, we bring something, I think, to the table. Maybe that's strangeness, and that's fine. But I think we bring something beautiful to the broader church as well. I, I really do love that. But... Despite all of that diversity in practice and in thought, there are some things that should be present, things that should be occurring for a gathering of people to be considered a Christian church. So historically, most theologians, practitioners, and Christian traditions agree that when the Bible's being taught and when the sacraments are being observed, that gathering is indeed a Christian church. The other specifics can vary to a certain degree. Of course, we, we structure worship gatherings differently. We approach prayer in unique ways. Sometimes those differences are pretty extreme. We, we of course, sing different songs, but the sacraments, namely, I'm, I'm speaking of communion and baptism, should be embraced if a gathering Is a church now? When when I talk about sacraments, I'm I'm just talking about these uh, sacred, special, or holy activities that we participate in as a community. These these physical activities, when they are celebrated, in my view, not only point to spiritual realities, but also I personally believe that Jesus is ministering to us as we participate in them. We, we talk about this routinely as we celebrate the Eucharist or communion week after week. It, it's not that we believe the elements that we consume actually become the literal body and blood of Jesus, but personally, I do strongly believe that Jesus is present with us in that meal in a unique and very real way and is nourishing us. Nourishing our spirits and our souls as we share in that meal together week after week. It is indeed a deep, deep mystery that is difficult to even fathom. But but I don't think we have to completely understand something to participate in it. And I think that's true of the sacrament we are observing today, the sacrament of baptism. We participate in this, first of all, because we've been instructed by Jesus to participate, because Christ's grace is meeting us in this activity, but also, indeed, because of the reminder that this provides for us of a variety of realities we believe to be true in Jesus Christ. It's taking our minds to some of those realities. Perhaps in that way, we could liken, of course, this analogy is going to break down. It is inadequate, to be sure, but perhaps we could liken it to my wedding ring that I'm wearing right now. I, can you see that? Is it shiny? Great. It's small. I, I wear this little shiny piece of metal on my finger, not because I'm a jewelry guy. I'm not. Those days, unless we're talking about a hemp necklace in seventh grade, I'm not a jewelry That's one thing you probably don't know about me, but in seventh grade, I could rock a hemp necklace. At least I thought I could rock a hemp necklace. I I thought I could rock a lot of things in seventh grade, but I just can't do it anymore. I've come to terms with that. I I don't even like wearing a watch. I have a really expensive device in my pocket that performs all of the functions of a watch and many more. Jewelry just isn't my thing, and at times it can be really annoying, especially if I'm dehydrated and my fingers swell. Many probably know that. This is not about fashion. I don't wear this ring because it looks hip. I get that Nanette and I were married 12 years ago, and the ring that I selected probably isn't stylish anymore, if it ever was. I I don't even know, but that's not why I wear it. it. It's not valuable. It doesn't have diamonds. This is not even made of an expensive metal. I bought this for like $40 on Etsy. So it's not valuable. But what it represents and what it points my mind to every time I look at it or every time I put it on in the morning is really valuable to me. This, of course, doesn't make a marriage a reality, but it is something tangible that reminds me of something really important to me. In a way, I think this can, again, it's an inadequate analogy, but I think it can be a part of the significance of a sacrament like baptism. Christ has instructed us to participate in this. It points us to very real things that are occurring in us and around us. And, and what might it be pointing to? Well, a lot, actually. We, we don't have time to even begin to scratch the surface of all of the different imagery we find in our scriptures that, that tries to capture the significance of what happens here. In fact, we will spend the rest of our lives, I think, discovering what this event means to us personally and as the church. But but perhaps this idea might be central in the image. You know, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus spends a, quite a bit of time talking about baptism, but he does so in the context of his mission, what he has come to earth to do and what that then means for his followers. And it was pretty intense. Can you drink the cup that I'm prepared to drink? Can you be baptized with my baptism? So he connects his mission to baptism. Later in the gospel, he connects the themes of Passover to his mission. So those Passover themes of of moving through the waters of the Red Sea for the children of Israel into salvation and freedom, Jesus connects those themes with his mission. So are, is this making sense? So baptism is connected to his mission. His mission, he explicitly connects to those Passover themes. So perhaps in a way, baptism then becomes this sort of microcosm of that big salvation story. Every time we are participating in this, we are taking our minds to that grand story of God's salvation of his people. We retell this story because in these waters, This is the image, or part of the image. In these waters, we too are moving through the waters of sin and death and bondage, and we're moving into freedom and salvation. We are moving into a brand new identity, embracing new life. In fact, this is how the Apostle Paul describes or or tries to capture some of the significance of baptism. In Romans chapter 6 says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It is such a beautiful picture of the reality that has embraced us. This is the symbol for us that we have begun the Christian life like a like a wedding ring baptism isn't necessarily what makes you a follower of Jesus per se but this is where a public pronouncement of a change in our allegiances is made this is our uh, an initiation rite in in a very real sense we're entering the faith in a formal way through the waters of baptism this this is the marker we are the baptized this is who we are we have walked through the waters of sin and death and we have been brought to safety and salvation on the other side so immersion into this water this this becomes for us a tangible and physical symbol of the old self being buried as we are lowered into the water and and just as christ rose from death we are raised to newness of life we've put on this new identity on the other side of the water. This is one reason we we don't take it lightly. It is a big commitment. I, I am choosing to orient my life toward Jesus, orient my life toward his life. I am submitting to his authority in every way. My entire person is going into these waters. A beautiful picture of the salvation story. Now, I want to spend just a few minutes, before we actually participate in this, I want to spend a few minutes just talking about a few of the particulars of our approach. Because although this is one of the events that unites Christians across the world, it is also an area where differences remain in practice, from timing of this sacrament to procedural. I mean, when is a person old enough to be baptized? Is there an age requirement uh, or more procedural issues? How do we even go about it? Do we sprinkle water on a person's head or submerge them in water? Now, I want to note this is just an attempt to explain where we are coming from. This is not at all an argument that we have the correct way. We've sort of cornered the market on how to do baptisms, appropriately, and all other approaches are completely mistaken and have no merit at all. Personally, I, I do not believe that. Rather, I, I just want to explain why we go about it the way we do. Um, if, if you are unfamiliar with this procedure, why we have a giant wooden box filled with water right, right in front of me. Um, while, while there are traditions that baptize infants, we, we choose to hold off a little bit until an individual makes a decision. I I want to align my life with Jesus. This view has been referred to as a believer's baptism. The idea that baptism follows uh, faith when individuals make a voluntary decision to trust in Jesus and, and pledge allegiance to him as Lord. And at that point then, an individual with the community of believers gathered around them responds to what is occurring in that person's life. As I already mentioned, other traditions have different opinions on this issue, and by the way, those opinions are reached in good faith, and they're reached for specific reasons. Just because we have differences on this doesn't mean it is a reason to break Christian fellowship or to um, develop the opinion that that we have, have nailed this down. Now, this might raise the question, well, then, when do you start baptizing people we We are baptizing children today so so, at what age can a decision that weighty be made and to be honest we we don't have a set age we We take it case by case, having conversations with those who are being baptized and and with their families if we're talking about children and, and then a follow up question may be well. Does a child really, or can a child really understand what is going on here, or really understand what it means to pledge allegiance to Jesus? And my answer is yes and no. That's my answer for adults as well. Yes and no. It, it sort of makes me think of um, our, our young girls who love that old Mattis Yahoo song, entitled One Day, and there's a lyric uh, that, that we always get a kick out of hearing them sing, and it goes like this. I'm not, I'm not going to sing it, but I'll, I'll tell you what it is. It, it goes, all my life I've been waiting for, I've been praying for, for the people to say that they don't want to fight no more. All my life I've been waiting for. We, we always get a kick out of hearing a four and an eight-year-old sing that line <laughs> because they don't know much about life. They haven't been around very long. So from the perspective of an adult, they haven't waited long for anything at all, even though they would argue otherwise. (laughs) Of course there is much they don't understand about life, and yet there is a lot that they do. They are living it, after all. They are discovering and learning by the hour. So my question then is, in regard to baptism... Do any of us really understand what is occurring in these waters? And I don't think so. I share this every baptism class we have. I was baptized when I was eight years old. And unsurprisingly, there was a lot I didn't understand about baptism. There was a whole lot I didn't understand about what it meant to follow Jesus. In fact, I am still learning that. There is a lot that I still do not know what it means to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. I know what it means in this moment, but I am going to discover for the rest of my life what whole life allegiance to Jesus looks like. If I were baptized today at the age of, well, at the very young age of 39 years old, there would still be a lot that I didn't understand because we are always discovering and rediscovering the significance of our baptism. As Martin Luther said, we, we crawl back to our baptism, and I think we do that for the rest of our lives, returning to it again to discover what that means for us. We spend the rest of our lives learning and relearning what it means to commit our lives to Jesus and to live into that new identity that we have put on. Whatever age we are baptized at, there are things we will not understand. And I think that's okay. We are all growing into our salvation and into our new identity. But this is where, for us, it begins. Initiation into the church, which I know that that sounds, uh, especially maybe to an outsider, maybe that sounds a little cultish or weird, I get that, I, I acknowledge that, but I, I use that term in the most hopefully noble sense imaginable. This is not about uh, a sort of secretive ritual by which we are granted access to the deeper secrets of a spiritual movement, not at all. In fact, quite the contrary. This is a very public event. Th- this is not a special but ultimately personal experience in my journey with Jesus. This this is through and through about the community of followers of Jesus. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul is urging the Christians in Ephesus to pursue unity within the body of Christ, he says this, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. It is incredible that the same practice, we enter the same waters of baptism that every follower of Jesus before us walked through. In fact, for us, I think there's a, a special significance. We, are, we borrowed this baptism tank. And in the three or two prior weeks, Two other churches in our city have used this same baptism tank to baptize people in their congregation, and this week we will return it to another church. It's just another beautiful picture that this is something that is uniting us, not dividing or separating us. This, This event becomes for us a welcoming into a huge family that spans millennia. Welcoming us into this global and historic community. It is a beautiful thing we participate in. Secondly, you, you will see in a moment that we baptize by immersion. Again, that's why we have a giant box of water. And with that as well, I don't want to get too hung up on the specifics, because again, I don't think this is reason for Christians to break fellowship with other Christians. Um, but it is an image that we find in our scriptures. It, it seems to be, in, in my view, maybe the ideal approach. It won't always be possible, but because of some of that imagery of being buried and raised, it seems to be Jesus' experience as well at the beginning of Mark's gospel. I only mention that to explain our approach, why we do it this way. If the tradition you were raised in or the tradition that you are a part of even now, since we have a lot of folks visiting, if the tradition you are from sprinkled and that's how you were baptized, I am in no way questioning the validity of that baptism. I'm I'm just explaining where we are coming from and, and why we do it this way with this Water. And by the way, speaking of water, you can't see it now, there's a lid on it. Um, this is not magical water. In fact, this water came out of the mop sink, came from the same city supply that made our coffee this morning. Um, it, it's the same water that's going, well not, it came from the same source as the water that's going to be used to mop the floors later. This, this is not special water. And I think there's actually something really important and beautiful about that. Wherever we are, around the globe, whatever the source of water, Jesus is with us in this act. It is not about what we are bringing to the table in the water. It is about what Jesus is doing. This is not an event that magically saves us. It doesn't even guarantee a life of faithfulness to Jesus. But we do signify in this event a new life. Our our sin has been washed away. Our old way of life and identity is buried with Christ. And we willingly take on this new way of life in his kingdom. We are clothed in Jesus Christ. It's a powerful picture. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann described baptism like this. And I keep looking because children should be joining us and the lobby looks empty. So you may have the uncomfortable experience of hearing me stall. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see how things progress in the next couple of minutes. Maybe I'll just return to singing that Mattis Yahoo song. <laughs> Walter Brueggemann described baptism like this. Katie, are you going to? Thank you. I knew I could count on you. Am I ever going to get through this quote? He said, baptism renounces the ways of death and embraces a new way of life. Incorporated into an alternative dream about how the world will finally be. Renouncing the ways of sin and death, embracing a new way of life, incorporated into an alternative dream about how the world will finally be. This event is all about new life. At its core, this is what we are signifying today. I heard somebody describe the baptism tank as a time machine. And as a a Back to the Future fan, I I really love that picture. But when we go through the waters of baptism, we are from the future. We, We are putting on this new identity of what the world will one day be like when Christ redeems and restores, brings his new heaven and New Earth. Welcome, kids. Thank you for joining us. Come on up to the front. This is what we rejoice in this morning. Thanks be to God.